On this episode of AvTalk, the US and EU close the book on their aviation subsidies fight and turn their attention to China. CFM debuts its new Rise engine platform, and Airbus and Cathay Pacific are working on single pilot operations for the A350. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Urbanowitz. And how are you liking our weekly weekly episodes now? Are you getting into the new rhythm? I'm getting into the new rhythm. I, I like it. And, and I'm pleased that nearly all of the feedback that we've gotten from listeners has been positive from ranging from yeah it's, it's it's pretty okay to this is the best thing ever and i live for it each week and to those people i say thank you very much that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside yeah and if for the people who maybe had negative feedback you could just skip every other week <laughs> you, you, you never know about that news, but that's okay. You could just skip that one. Yeah, it's it's fine. You know, take a glance at the show notes and then, and then go from there. Yeah, no, there has been literally one person who had negative feedback about the switch to the weekly episodes. So, I mean, it's you know, hopefully, hopefully, we change their mind. So we'll we'll go from there. But this week's show, more of catching up on on what has happened versus a, an industry overview. I thought last week's show, I mean, having listened to it, uh, Jason, I know that you haven't listened to it because- I was there, man. One episode. But having listened to the episode, kind of going back and, and you know, listening to the episode from a learning perspective rather than a participating in perspective, I agree more and more with everything that, that the Johns said. And I I had a conversation or- posed a question to someone who is extremely uh, enthusiastic about this happening. And, and I just, you know, why? And the response that I got was very much a personal response and did not seem to address any of the the major challenges. So I, I haven't seen anything that convinces me that that anything that was said last week was either wrong or, or off base or, or needs rethinking. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, please, please do so. Uh, and if you had any thoughts, e- email us and, and let us know what you thought. Because the more we do this, the less I feel like we got we got that wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, sure, I would love if my flights, my two transcon flights this week would have been uh, supersonic, but it, it ain't going to happen anytime soon. So that's where that sits. But we have we have new things to talk about on this week's episode. The first is the end to the long running, I, I think nearing on 15, 16 years running, US versus EU, really Airbus versus Boeing, WTO dispute that began in 2004 and culminated as far as ratcheting up things go last year and then has um, been hopefully resolved this week. A bit of background. In 2004, the US filed a World Trade Organization grievance against the EU saying that Airbus was being illegally subsidized by the EU. The EU filed a 
claim as well with the WTO saying, well, the US is subsidizing Boeing. And that went back and forth for about 15 years and culminated in penalties being assessed, tariff battles escalated, Airbus planes that were bound for US airlines were being delivered to places like Amsterdam and South Korea thanks to some of these tariffs where Delta was keeping the planes out of the US to to not have to deal with it. There were issues that affected the A220's production and delivery and all sorts of this fun stuff. And things outside of aviation were were affected by this as well, including wine, cheese. I, I think there were various component parts for all sorts of other things involved. And to put a, a fine point on it as far as Jason and I are concerned, alcohol was involved. Uh, whiskey this was involved. is where we draw the line. And this is why it had to stop. And so yesterday, a meeting between the EU and the US, an agreement was reached and there is now a cooperative framework for large civil aircraft that has been formed between the US and the EU. All of this is to say they're going to suspend the tit-for-tat tariffs, settle their, their differences, and all eyes now turn to what they are terming non-market economies. So what this is really all about is, is saying – yeah, we probably all subsidize aircraft. And as John Ostrauer mentioned in the last week's episode, I mean, no major civil aircraft has been brought to market without the assistance of, of government, if you're looking at things truly through where the money is coming from. So they're saying, well, we're, we're setting that aside and we're going to look at non-market economies and their subsidies for large commercial aircraft. And when we make a list of quote-unquote non-market economies that are developing large civil aviation projects, the, the list is China and Russia-ish. So really what this is, is it's a, it's a turn, of the, turn of the focus or swing of the focus to, to China and to a much lesser extent, Russia's civil aviation programs. Yeah, the US and Europe as a whole has spent so much time pointing fingers at each other for things that they themselves are doing, they they kind of forgot to point their finger and acknowledge really what was happening in Russia and China, which of course those programs I'm sure are very heavily subsidized by uh, the governments there. So they probably need to put their attention elsewhere. It's not like Boeing and Airbus aren't big enough, but their market dominance can surely be dominated in other markets. I know we've talked about this to no end, but the aircraft market in China might look dramatically different in 10 years than it does right now. And I just wanted to put some perspective on how just how long this WTO dispute has been going on for. It started in 2004. The A380's first flight wasn't until 2005. And that aircraft has already lived out its entire existence to the point where a good chunk of the fleet may never fly again and production has already ceased. That's just how long this dispute has been going on for. The, literally the entire lifespan of an aircraft type. There was an article in... I forget where the article was, 
but the social share photo, the, the photo that auto generates when when the the tweet goes out, was a picture of a Lufthansa seven four seven and a three eighty kind of nose to nose, and and certainly that's a, a great photo to to showcase the issue. But but the the comment that somebody was making was that yeah, both of those planes don't exist anymore. Yeah, that's awkward. So yeah, this has been going on for a very long time, and the thing is, is that no one was ever really wrong, you know, about the other, you know, the, no. the claims that they were making. They, it was like, yeah, so no, nobody was wrong, but they, they kept doing it themselves simultaneously for the better part exactly. of two decades. Exactly. So there, there, there you go. So yeah, five-year pause on any US-EU arguments. There are working groups that will work to work so that they can work with their other counterparts and hopefully come up with a a plan that they can then plan on. If you'll notice my turn of phrase here, it's all government speak that I don't think really means anything at this point, but they've decided to settle their differences. If it uh, results in, in lower now. alcohol prices, everybody wins. True. So the other two two big kind of pieces of, of news that we wanted to talk about. Jason, do you want to go for a cruise first or would you like to rise? Let's cruise and then rise in, in reverse order. Excellent. So it's no secret that Airbus has been working on kind of single pilot operations for long haul aircraft. That that's been known for a while. The news this week is that Cathay Pacific, the airline, is working with Airbus on this particular project. So the idea is that Cathay Pacific operates some incredibly long flights, 14, 15 and a half hours. And so the idea is that instead of having a full complement of two crews, so three to four pilots, depending on how long the sector is, you would have a crew of two. And during the high cruise period, you would have one pilot on the flight deck and you would have one resting. And that would be it. Instead of always having two pilots available on the flight deck you know, d- during flight. Obviously, there are all kinds of issues with this, regulatory being the largest one. You're going to have to convince regulators that this is a good idea. Passenger acceptance, I think, is going to be a big one. You're going to have to convince passengers that this is going to be a good idea. And certainly, the the buy-in from crew pilots is going to be a huge thing. So Airbus says it wants to, to target a 2025 launch on Cathay Pacific A350s. That seems incredibly ambitious to me, but that's what they say they wish to do. Yeah, I'm not totally sure on on one of your points. I I don't know if passengers actually know that there are multiple sets of crews on board long-haul flights. So I I don't think there's going to be much of a a passenger aspect of this to, to, you know, ensure passengers know that there's the right amount of crew on board because I don't think they have any idea how many crew there are to begin with. But 2025 really does seem very aggressive. And I know that Airbus designed the A350 with specific technology in mind to allow for some emergency procedures that other aircraft do not have. And that one of these things I believe is that if the aircraft experiences rapid 
depressurization, it is able to descend to 10,000 feet on its own. That's pretty cool, but that's just one of many, 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 many things that can go wrong on board an aircraft. And one thing that a couple people have pointed out on Twitter already is that there are cases, maybe not in the US, but in other countries where pilots can have controlled rest on board the aircraft in, in the flight deck. They're the pilot seat can turn into almost like a fully flat seat and they can take a, a bit of a snooze, but they're not allowed to do that for more than 30 minutes at a time to prevent them from going into deep sleep. Since once you get into deep sleep, it takes a few minutes to to reorient yourself, to wake up, get your bearings, figure out what's going on. If you're down to just two pilots on board these long-haul flights, if the pilot flying needs to summon the other crew member to come up and deal with some emergency, that's, I mean, we learned from Air France, what was it, 447, that the pilot coming out of the crew rest, he, is, he or she is not going to be able to immediately respond to whatever situation is happening. It's going to take a few minutes. And in that case, that few minutes was simply too much to save that aircraft. Yeah, that I mean, that's a really good point. The other thing that I would have a question about is what happens if there's, you know, something that the pilot on the flight deck at that point has to deal with that isn't necessarily an, an aviation. I mean, like what happens if there's a disturbance in the cabin or, or what happens if they really have to go to the bathroom? I mean, it, you know, just does a flight attendant just come in and just kind of say, okay, these things are things are going. I mean, that that seems like something that certainly will have to be worked out, but those are like the little things that I'm sure they're working on, but I don't know how they would deal with at the moment. Yeah. And then there are bigger things such as, I guess it would be pilot health monitoring to make sure that that one pilot in the flight deck is actively monitoring the controls, has a heartbeat, is paying attention, isn't suffering from some sort of medical emergency. Right. Do you go to, I mean, this goes back to a couple episodes ago when we talked about, you know, having video recording in, in the on the flight deck. I mean, we were talking about replacing kind of a, a, as a systems monitor, but if you're going to have single pilots, I mean, are you going to have to have some sort of video monitoring? Does that feed back to something? Yeah. Do you have health monitoring? Will it be uh, like uh, astronauts, where they or, yeah. astronauts where they have active health monitoring, relaying telemetry back down to mission control? I don't see that happening. I mean, it, or is it going to be like a, like a, a train engineer where you've got- Yeah. An, an, an alerter. Yeah. Or, or I don't think you want a dead man's pedal on, uh, on an aircraft. <laughs> right. Keep your foot on the rudder at all times. Otherwise, that we assume you're dead. Well. That could not go well. But that's what they're working on. I don't know if I'd be shocked if this happens by 2025 or, or even at all. I'd be a little surprised. That said, I feel like there's a better chance that this type of thing kind of expands to other you know, the kind of the things that are developing here expand to future aircraft development. Yeah, I imagine we would have been having this exact same conversation 30 years ago as the flight engineer's position was eliminated and the cockpit went from 3 to 2 human beings. So, this conversation has been played out before a little differently going from 3 to 2 and then 2 to 1 is a similar but very different conversation. That's exactly right. So last episode, we had, I, I don't know how long, but a lengthy discussion talking about engines. 
and the fact that the proposed supersonic aircraft that, that Boom is working on doesn't have one. But there is also the question of what are the next generation of narrowbody aircraft going to use as their propulsion technology, and that's not something that necessarily exists yet. But this week, CFM, which is the joint venture between GE Aviation and and Safran, have launched what they are calling the Rise platform. So that is called uh, the, the Rise platform. Stands for Revolutionary Innovation for Sustainable Engines. The idea is that this new engine platform will make a 20% reduction in fuel consumption and emissions compared to the current series of engines. So compared to the the CFM uh, LEAP series of engines, which powers the 737 MAX and the A320neo. And the interesting thing here is that the RISE platform is going to be based on an open fan concept. So that will be very interesting to see, and we'll see how how things actually develop with this particular platform. Yeah. Now, this is one thing that, as opposed to the last topic, that passengers uh, will be noticing. And when G- I believe it was GE trialed this technology maybe 20 years ago, there was a large percentage of, I guess, prospective passengers who objected to this or or just felt as if it was too different to be uh, comfortable with them. So there is definitely a lot of passenger perspective to change on, on this evolution of engine technology. Yeah. So, so basically what the open fan is, is it's the you have a, a jet engine, a, a, a turbofan engine, but you don't have a, a nacelle around the fan. So it's not a propeller, but for anyone, I guess for anyone who would be concerned about this particular type of technology and say, no, I'm not flying on it, it would look like a propeller. I, yeah, I, I hope yeah. I'm describing that right. We'll, we'll put a, a link in the show notes as to what the renderings look like, but it's neat. And I'm interested to see when they start kind of putting it into testing and, and things like that, if we can get a chance to to take a look at that, because that, that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see this in person one day, to, just to understand how much quieter potentially it is than, I guess, last generation open rotor engines. So definitely something to keep an eye on. And I just like that CFM keeps coming up with these acronyms with uh, from leap now or unto rise. Got to go somewhere. So let us quickly say that there is an update on the ICAO investigation into the situation regarding the Ryanair flight that was forcibly diverted into Belarus. Belarus and Poland have provided some details. Information has been sought from Greece, Ireland, Lithuania, and Switzerland. An interim report is due to ICAO on or near 23 June. So cool. Yeah. So they're working on it, I guess. Who knows if anything will come of it, but they're working on it. Meanwhile, Balavia is extremely limited in the directions it can fly, which is to say east and uh, a little south. And, and that's about it. 
But there is your Belarus update. Shall we take a quick break and then come back and talk about getting our money back and some steep learning curves? Sure. Excellent. Stay with us. We shall be right back after this. Welcome back. The COVID-related refund saga continues as people continue to ask for refunds, get refunds, not get refunds, finally get refunds, here's a voucher, what have you. Uh, And as it turns out, the US Department of Transportation has, uh, they have a problem with Air Canada to the tune of $25.5 million. Um, They are proposing to fine Air Canada, the United States Department of Transportation, that is, is proposing to fine Air Canada $25.5 million because Air Canada did not give refunds to people who asked for them. Yeah, they only offered credits for future flights for a country that we're still not allowed to fly to for the most part. So that was a double-edged sword. Yeah. The department has received over 6,000 complaints from people who said Air Canada canceled the flights or changed the flights and then either didn't give them a refund or took, in some cases, over a year to provide them with a refund for their flights. Uh, So people certainly not happy. The refunds began flowing in earnest after the Canadian government said, here's some money, go refund all these people. Yeah, and Air Canada does not alone here. WestJet and I believe Air Transit did the same exact thing where they basically held everyone's money hostage until the government more or less funded those refunds. So uh, if you've gotten a refund from, from Air Canada, the Canadian taxpayers have refunded your ticket at, at this point. Certainly, there's a case to be made for providing these airlines with some type of help. But it doesn't really engender a lot of goodwill when it says, well, no, we're not giving you your money back until the government says we have to. Yeah, uh, not right. And Canada, or Air Canada says, we're not going to do that. And then the DOT says, well, we're going to fine you for it. And Air Canada's response to this has been that, well, they were just guidelines. They weren't rules. So we technically didn't have to give them their money back. So this is all going to go in front of a judge who will decide whether or not Air Canada owes the $25.5 million to the Department of Transportation. What's interesting to me is, is that they tried to go through arbitration first, and I guess Air Canada said, no, we're not going to do that. And so then the D- Department of Transportation said, well, okay, we're, we're just going to fine you. Be interesting to see if what they were asking Obviously, the, the fine would be more than the arbitration because the, by agreement. So I'm not sure what Air Canada is hoping to get out of this other than maybe they think they can claim that they're right. I don't know. Nope. guess we'll find out. If it's not an arbitration, it's sure going to come out if it goes to court. Yeah. Let's see. What else as far as some good aviation news? We've got a couple of things in Europe. One is the... Good news if you're flying to London City, uh, I suppose. That's good news. There aren't many of those people right now. But if you happen to be one of those, the Embraer E190 E2 is now 
fully certified, I believe, for the steep approach into London City. So that that'll that'll be fun if you uh, if you get a chance to do that. Yeah, I, I I'm just kind of thinking out loud now, but it'll be interesting to look at stats for for London City, and probably pretty sad. It's not something I've done yet, but maybe we'll do that and. and Come back next episode with with some info. Yeah, so the E one ninety now joins the A two twenty family flying into London City with its trademark steep approach. And Yasa, I believe, said the E one ninety E 2s noise footprint is sixty three percent smaller than the E one ninety, I guess E ones footprint. So that's dramatically quieter. Wow. Yeah. All, all thanks to that uh, that geared turbofan engine right there. Yeah, I, uh, well, it's going to a little bit, but overall it's 63% small, less of a footprint. But I, I probably should have led with this, but the, the steep approach is that for noise abatement, that aircraft into London City come into an angle of up to 5.5 degrees, which I think is one degree steeper than typical approach. Up to 5.5. So it would be up to two and a half degrees. It, so three three degrees is the normal normal approach. So it'd be up to two and a half degrees more. Well, that's fun. I know. Yeah. And that is just like there was on the Airbus A318, which was by far the largest aircraft that flew into London City. The E190E2 will have a little button in the flight deck for steep approach. And basically they just push the little button and things happen. The aircraft lets it do that. And things happen. They push a button and things happen. That's technology. That's fine. What will they think of next? A switch, a physical switch, <laughs> cookie switch. <laughs> Elsewhere, the finally, 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 Ryanair has taken delivery of its first 737 MAX, which is the uh, 73s. Let's see. The, the I think the latest terminology is the 737-8 MAX 200, which is to say the high-density version that was designed with Ryanair in mind. Seats up to 200 passengers, has the additional exit door aft of the wings, and is an all-around cozier airplane, shall we say. Great. Cozy but, is uh, yeah. a, a very PR-friendly way of describing oh, the yes, interior yes. of that aircraft. I Yeah. I was going for a, a soft a soft pedaling of the... Well, you, you nailed it. And at the same time, the 737 MAX 10, the uh, first of, of that variant of the MAX, is, underwent its first high-speed ground taxi today. Wee! Yeah, so that, that first fly, flight should be coming up any day. Yep. Yep. We're working on that. That one, if you want to track the 737 MAX 10's first flight, uh, the registration for that is N27751. Uh, so, so that should happen. Uh, might even happen before the podcast comes out on Friday. Uh, yeah. So, so you can search for the history if uh, if it is flown by. Yeah. Then. So, so best of luck to Boeing on the Max Ten first flight, even if it is just the first flight of a stretched variant of an already long in the tooth version of an aircraft. Any first flight is still exciting. Hey, I'm I'm taking what I can get these days, and. Play Airlines took what it could get this week, taking its first A321neo home to Iceland, TFAEW, a former, your friend and mine, Interjet uh, aircraft. So uh, that airline's, I guess, descendants continue to 
to spread far and wide. So the uh, play is the, are we calling it spiritual successor? I don't know what to wow. Uh, knock off? I don't know. Knock. I mean, well, it's just some of the same people. So it's, I, I suppose it, it's just kind of like a, a continuation of what didn't work before, but trying to make different things work a little bit better. This time, they will start service to Europe next week. Uh, 10 days or so, uh, end of June, I think their first flights go to the UK and then to other destinations in Europe uh, over the next month or so. So that should be uh, interesting to find out how well they do. And I'm sure we'll talk more about them as they get more aircraft and expand their route network and hopefully don't make the same mistakes that WOW did. Yeah, at least fortunate that these aircraft didn't come from WOW once upon a time. They're coming from Interjet, but they very well could have come from the the corpse of WOW Air since they did operate 321 NEOs, I believe. But these came from – these are baby planes from Interjet that barely barely got a chance to prove themselves. Yeah, yeah. All the, all the 321s from WOW went to what? Uh, Air Rouge. Canada. Yeah, uh, Air Canada, Air, Air Canada and, and Rouge. They're so, probably not flying now, but they're, uh, they're in Canada. They're there, yeah. Let's see. What else? A couple other things before we go. Lufthansa is flying 747s and A350s to Mallorca coming up next month. So that'll be a thing. People want to go on vacation. Yeah. Right? So that that's going to be uh, fascinating to see. Yeah. And heck then, of an upgrade. Yeah. Since, yeah, right? Uh, right. Since Lufthansa doesn't have really, I guess the largest narrow body they have is the 321. They don't have 75. So that's a, a big upgrade from an A320 or 321 to a 747. Yeah, that's great. Su- surprise. So yeah, that, that'll be cool. And and very comfortable for for the people that end up you know in the front. Of, it, I, I mean, going from the, the back of an A321 to the back of a 747, not a huge difference. I mean, you know, fun, but not a huge difference. But, you know, can you imagine you booked that flight and it was, you know, three, and then all of a sudden, like, we're, we're upgaging it. Yeah. Well, I had the opposite happen to me yesterday. So oh, somebody should get the, the good magic. That's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. And South African Airways is being sold to a group of private investors. I will say nothing more than good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah. Before we go, a few bits of Flight Radar 24 info and housekeeping. First, last week, I was fairly confident we were going to track over 200,000 flights, 200,000 total flights in a day for the first time since 2019. That didn't happen. We made it to 199,200 flights. It seems like this week might be the week, so that'll be something to to watch. Um, ah, Thursday, the, the or difference Friday. there could have come from the Southwest groundings alone. Yeah, that, that's true. So close. Yeah, so so keep an eye on that, and then this is one for the the flight tracking enthusiasts and folks who are hosting receivers or, or wish to host receivers uh, in the U.S. only. So everybody outside of the U.S., we thank you for your time, but nobody else uses the 978 megahertz band. We are working on new tracking technology for the 978 megahertz band, uh, UAT, that is for general aviation aircraft that fly at lower altitudes that is separate from the 1090 megahertz. If you are interested in 
hosting, or trialing the the beta software that we're developing for that, send us an email at support at fr24.com and the team will will get you all set up with that and how you can do that. So if you're interested in in some tech stuff and, and more flight tracking, please by all means come and play with that that new setup. I'm interested. Why don't I have this? Oh who knows? Good point. It, yeah, who who knows? But I'd have to go in the attic. If you're not I don't Jason, want to do that. Yeah, exactly. No. I think that's pretty much what it is. But if you're not Jason and you're interested, let us know. For those outside of the US, you don't use it, so no need to worry. It, it's it kind of yeah. like the uh, imperial system. <laughs> you don't have to know what an inch is. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, none of it makes sense, but we're going to continue to use it. This has been episode 116 of AvTalk. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes you have listened to, please, by all means, rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts, tell your friends, you know, send postcards to people you don't know and say that they should listen to AvTalk. I, I don't know. But if you help more people listen to the podcast, we, we can keep doing fun stuff and we really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much for listening. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz, thanks for listening. <laughs>